Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we'll have case-based conversations and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge focusing on equine health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of the EquiConnect Equine Podcast, brought to you by McKee Pownall. I am Dr. Kyle Goldie. And I am Karen Fell, and joining us today is Dr. Tova Caldwell from our Camerville location. Yes, our, our very special guest. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tova, for, for joining us. Tova's come to speak to us today about some alternative therapies, but uh, we're going to focus primarily on uh, chiropractic slash veterinary spinal manipulation therapy. But before we get into that, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So uh, my name is Tova, as you just heard, and I have been a vet with McKee Pownall for the last nine years. And throughout that time, I focused most of my clinical work on lameness and performance horses and specifically uh, back pain. I have a real interest in back pain in animals, how it presents itself, how to identify it, and more specifically, how to treat it effectively. So Tova, what is it about back pain that um, drew your interest? I think specifically what I was finding is that it was being overlooked in a Mm -hmm. lot of my patients. Mm -hmm. And not only just my clients, but myself, I wasn't recognizing when it was really playing a role, uh, when it was more subtle, or how it was affecting not only the horse's performance, but their behavior, too. And so it kind of cultivated an interest in pain in general, Mm -hmm. when it's not overtly obvious, and how horses express to us how they're showing that pain and how we see it when it isn't that they're obviously limping or, you know, something that you would know right away is painful. Sure. Yeah. So there's some subtlety to it. Uh, understandably. So one of the debates we always get into is back pain in a given case, primary or secondary. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about trying to establish that? So I think back pain can be primary and it can be secondary and it can be a little bit of both too. So for me, it's really important when I'm getting to know a horse or I'm assessing a horse, I look at them from multiple different ways. So I'll do a full lameness exam, even if I'm being called out just to adjust the horse or do a chiropractic exam. And I will watch the horse move and I will do flexions and I will look at it from a very traditional veterinary medicine way in terms of lameness. And then I try and incorporate their biomechanics into what I know about their behavior, what I know about how their back feels, how they're acting under saddle. And then I try to decide what's primary and what's secondary. Sure. And often I think these cases are like an onion. There's so many different layers to them that I don't even know initially what is primary and what is secondary. So usually I try to treat what I see, obviously, (laughs) see the response, and then peel those layers back one at a time. And I don't think you always know the answer to to that question quite fairly. But I do think that historically, as veterinarians, we assume back pain is always secondary. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do that my own self. And I think that's really... You always think, if I fix this, then the back yeah. will be... It's, uh, a week later, it's going to be perfect, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. No, no problem. Yeah. And yeah. I think if we relate that to humans, yeah. uh, that just makes no sense at all, right? right? Like, yes, our backs can be sore secondary 
to our knees hurting or mm-hmm. our feet hurting, mm-hmm. but there's many times that we just have a sore back, you know, yeah. primary back pain. And it's to do with how we move and it's to do with the kind of shoes we wear and it's to do with how fit we are or how not fit we are, you know, like yeah. there's so many factors. So, oh, absolutely. And all of those things play into horses and as well, whether they're performance horses or just pleasure horses. Absolutely. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that in terms of adjustments for horses, in terms of does there always have to be an issue or can it be kind of for maintenance or for preventative? Yeah. And that's a great question. And I think that I think it can be both quite mm-hmm. fairly. So with spinal manipulation therapy or chiropractic therapy. Can I first explain to you a little bit about what it is? Definitely. And then we'll talk about what you can use it for. So the term chiropractic in its own self basically means with hands. So it's the study of using your hands to assess the spine or different joints within the body to determine how well they're moving which determines how well they're functioning. So when we do an exam, basically we're challenging range of motion. Um, and it, it does tend to focus specifically on the spinal joints, but really it applies to all of the, the joints in the body. You're assessing range of motion in each joint, challenging it to its furthest degree, and then assessing, is it moving normally? Is it moving too much? Is it moving not enough? Is there pain associated with um, whatever that particular joint is doing? Is there secondary response to me challenging that joint? How is the horse responding to me? So basically, that's that's what chiropractic is, is mm-hmm. it's assessing spinal motion and then determining what kind of problem the too much or too little motion is having in the body. And the reason it focuses mostly on the spine is because obviously the spine supports our spinal cord and protects our spinal cord. Mm -hmm. And from the spinal cord comes every major nerve that supplies every part of the body. And so when you get a joint that's not moving well, basically you'll get decreased blood flow, decreased circulation, and you might even get impingement of the nerves that are coming out of the spine at that particular level. And so with that, becomes dysfunction, either locally right at that area, or it could even be wherever those nerves are going. You might just see Mm -hmm. a decreased function. Sometimes that's associated with pain if it's Mm -hmm. kind of gone to the end degree, you know, to the end case, but sometimes it's not associated with pain. And in that case, that's when it's really nice as a maintenance Mm -hmm. or a preventative because you can find those dysfunctions and you can treat them before they become a problem for the horse, right? And sometimes those dysfunctions, you know, they can be caused from anything. They can be caused from, you know, muzzle spasming or the horse took a funny step or they've got some lameness in their lower legs that's causing them to compensate a mm-hmm. little bit differently. And so um, as a maintenance or a preventative, it's great because you can identify those problems before they become a problem. Mm-hmm. And then you keep that horse in work doing its job so it doesn't get to the point where it's painful or not able to, to do its job. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. No, that's really interesting perspective. And it raises a, a really good point because I always think of chiropractic. Do you prefer we say spinal manipulation therapy? That's the correct term. Is yeah, it not? And that's, yeah, that's a good point. That's a legal term? Yeah, it's a okay. good point that yeah. we should clarify, actually, sure. because the two types of people that can do 
manipulative therapy or spinal manipulation in animals are chiropractors that are certified by animal programs or Mm -hmm. veterinarians that are certified by animal programs. Mm -hmm. And so the term chiropractor is protected by the College of Chiropractors on the human side. And so to say that uh, like a veterinarian, I cannot say I'm an animal chiropractor right. because I'm not a chiropractor. Right. I'm a veterinarian that is trained and certified sure. in manipulation, spinal manipulation therapy. Okay. So as a veterinarian, I can say that I'm doing spinal manipulation therapy, whereas a chiropractor would say that they're doing chiropractic. Gotcha. And Unfortunately, the terms do get a little bit mixed back and forth because most people don't necessarily, the term veterinary spinal manipulation therapy just seems like a an abstract right. term, right? right? Yeah, You're yeah, like, yeah. wait, what, is that? Yeah. what does that even yeah. mean, right? Whereas yeah. if you say a chiropractic treatment, then... It makes it's just much more intuitive, and people mm-hmm. understand right away what you're talking about. Right. And so I typically like I will never ever tell anybody I'm a chiropractor because I'm clearly not. But I will often use the words like adjustment or mm-hmm. you know a manipulation or an assessment that that type of stuff. Gotcha. Uh, because yes, technically the term chiropractor is very protected, and legally veterinarians are not allowed to use that. Okay. Well. There you go. We'll mind our P's and Q's then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. One of the things that you kind of brought to my attention was the fact that there's kind of two parts to veterinary spinal manipulation therapy. You're given two new skill sets when you took that training, right? Your first skill set is a new set of diagnostic tools, right? In the the sense that your hands are more attuned Mm -hmm. to looking at the body Mm -hmm. right and and assessing the joint function but then you also have the the training to use those hands to affect change Mm -hmm. right so it's it's pretty cool i hadn't actually thought of it that way kind of tackling the problem from two sides right very much so and i I always joke that my hands are the most important tool that i have in my truck (laughs) because they have become as you learn spinal manipulation therapy and you learn you just learn to assess horses and feel horses mm-hmm. and palpate horses in a completely different way and mm-hmm. so your fingers become so attuned to information that it's amazing what they pick up right 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 and so i would you know if i had to choose i'd keep my hands over my eyes because yeah it's they're so important to what i do you For, know? yeah 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 fair enough we keep talking about training can mm-hmm. you tell us about the training that you took in order to begin performing these uh procedures and uh techniques? Yeah. So there's a couple of accredited courses in Canada that veterinarians and chiropractors can take. And there's also a couple in the United States. I think there might be six total. So basically the course is set out over six months and it's about a week, a month over that time period. It's well over 200 clinical hours. Okay. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of theory and a lot of classroom time, uh, basically, learning neurology and anatomy in a 
whole new light <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that most of us don't either didn't learn in vet school or don't remember <laughs> from vet school. Yeah, 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 Fair for enough. Sure. So there's a lot of classroom time and then there's a lot of practical hands-on mm-hmm. time for both horses and for, you know, you learn on dogs as well as horses, just assessing and then learning proper technique. Because one of the things that I get asked so much is, you know, how do I, being a relatively small statured person, yeah. how can I possibly adjust a horse? For um, sure. Who is, yeah. you know, 1,500 pounds. And so there's a lot of training that goes into learning how to use your body properly right. so that you stay safe, you yeah. protect yourself, and you don't hurt yourself in the process because you can very easily. And what I usually tell people when they ask me that is, I'm not adjusting the horse. Right. I'm adjusting one joint right, on right, a horse. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody who's seen me work on horses, you know, I have two big styrofoam blocks that, mm-hmm. you know, so basically I can be much taller and I can work from the top line of a horse. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Cairo, you know, when people go to a human Cairo, they think of laying on the table right. and being kind of twisted and contorted in all different ways. And clearly that doesn't happen with yeah. horses or with dogs because yeah. they're not very agreeable to that. You learn the anatomy and their physiology in a way that you can use your own body to very effectively create motion at one joint at a time. Yeah, okay. It's a very specific, um, even though it doesn't necessarily look very mm-hmm. specific from the outside. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking of different areas that you can work on and manipulate on the horse, are there areas that you do not want to adjust on a horse? Like often in people, people are nervous about necks being adjusted. Is there something similar in terms of horses or is it different? I often let the horse dictate what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. In terms of real hard nose, there aren't that many places. Mm -hmm. There's a few places in the spine, especially up near the top, C2, that we, you know, the second cervical vertebrae that we may not necessarily want to adjust Mm -hmm. overtly. But for the most part, I let the horse decide what it's going to trust me to do. Mm -hmm. The whole process of an appointment, you know, with spinal manipulation therapy is building trust with the horse so that they're relaxed enough to allow you to do what they want to do. Mm Because again, speaking of small stature, if they fight or they're tense or they're really uncomfortable... I can't overcome. Absolutely. Yeah, they're bad. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm always cautious with necks. Again, there's a lot of important structures in the neck. And so this is where I really allow the horse to tell me to kind of dictate what's going to happen. If I am trying to palpate their neck or even motion, and they're really resentful or really painful, or they're being very tense or really, you know, they're just uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. the situation, I will never force a neck to be adjusted. And that general rule applies for anything. Like if a horse is really complaining overtly or they seem uncomfortable, I'm not going to force anything Mm -hmm. because the whole point of this is to build trust. And if you hurt them, then they don't trust you. Right. And so if you, if you lose the confidence in the horse, your session is essentially done. Right. They decide they're done. You're done. (laughs) Right. It's really hard to recover from that. (laughs) So, I'm assuming then that sedation is kind of a no-no uh, in in terms of spinal manipulation because you you don't have that same relationship with your patient. Is that correct? That's exactly right. So the theory is that you don't ever want to work on a sedated horse because they lose their ability to tell you when something is too sore or mm-hmm. where you're going to take something too far and cause damage, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, practically, I think it 
it's a little bit challenging to really do that, like to to take a horse that's like a big horse past the point where you're going to actually cause harm. But theoretically, you can. And because of that, we don't ever sedate horses for any kind of manipulation therapy or anything like that. It takes their pain response away. So you don't get an accurate read on what's actually happening and it relaxes them. So you might think that the horse is significantly better than they actually are. It really takes away the accuracy of the exam. I'm curious on the same topic of medications kind of thing. Are there some medications that you find that work in conjunction with spinal manipulation therapy? Because one thing that always kind of perplexed to me, having been to a human chiropractor a few times, you know, they loosen up some area that's been tight for a long time. And as you're walking out the door, you feel it tighten up again. Okay, I get why I need to come back. But it's, it seems to me that there might be an opportunity for some medications to, to help break that cycle too, like a non-steroidal. So I'm just wondering, I guess, how do you choose how to balance Western medicine, mm-hmm. shall we say, yep. with the spinal manipulation. Yeah, and that's a great question. Uh, it's very horse dependent, but and there's kind of a couple of ways that I can answer that question. To go back to the beginning, that's why I always do a lameness exam mm-hmm. on them. Because if whatever is happening in their back and whatever is happening in those spinal segments, whether it be painful or spasming or hypermobile, moving too much, I want to know if there is a primary problem causing that. Because mm-hmm. if there is, I can adjust them every day, every week if I want to, and it's going to tighten right back up and it's going to come right back to where it was if we don't do something about the primary problem. Uh-huh. And the primary problem could be lameness, could be soreness, could be attack related issue, or it could be just a core conditioning or some kind of, you know, fitness related issue. It can be many different things. So that's where it comes back to really assessing the horse from head to tail, top to bottom, to know where there's primary problems and where there's secondary problems. And regardless, I think interrupting that pain cycle when they've been in any kind of discomfort for a long period of time is absolutely imperative to the success of Mm -hmm. your treatment. Because if you don't somehow interrupt that pain cycle, then the body is just going to go right back to where it was, especially if it's been there for a long period of time. So sometimes, you know, if a horse seems overtly uncomfortable on an initial assessment and they're too sore for me to even do anything, then I will follow up with, say, some kind of systemic um, like bute or banamine or a muscle relaxant and then maybe come back the following week when Mm -hmm. the horse is a little bit more comfortable, you know, see if I can identify any major issues that need to be treated immediately Mm -hmm. and then take some of that tension away. Because with discomfort and tension comes stress and it's such a mental thing like for the horse and for me (laughs) in that situation that if it's if they're tense you just can't get done what you need to get done if there is overt pain there is 100% a place for mixing alternative medicine with western medicine because I think you get the best effect that way and there are definitely people that will disagree with me Mm -hmm. you know there are definitely people on the western side that say Medication is the only way that you can address this problem. And there are definitely people on the alternative side that say you should never use medication to treat this problem. Right. But I think that's where it's practitioner dependent. Sure. It's experience dependent. 
And it's about aligning your values with somebody right. who practices the way that you want your horse treated, right? Absolutely. So when you're when you're choosing a practitioner to perform this, make sure that their methodologies approach, you know, just their approach, yeah, sure, aligns with yours. That that makes really good, yeah. really good sense. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I was thinking too about going along with kind of the the treatment protocols, as you were saying you know, you do a spinal manipulation and then kind of you don't want things to revert back. So what does the general, I know this is going to be also horse dependent, but general kind of treatment look like? The regularity. So the regularity of the treatments depends on the problem that I'm treating. Mm -hmm. So if it's a, an acute problem, meaning the horse went out and fell on ice and twisted and, you know, it's really sore through part of its pelvis or something like that. There's an, an injury. Mm-hmm. Then I think when you can treat those problems in shorter succession, so meaning maybe we would treat once or twice a week mm-hmm. um, or, you know, for a couple of weeks in a row to get that sort of acute inflammation and pain down, then sometimes I will do that. I'll mm-hmm. say, you know what, like, let's, let's see this horse twice, two times this week, two times next week. For average performance and maintenance type horses, usually when I meet a horse for the first time, I want to see them once every week to two weeks, usually every Mm -hmm. two weeks for at least three assessments. I think you have to give them a solid chance to really know whether it's going to make a difference or not, you know? And I get asked a lot, like, well, once we start this, am I going to have to treat the horse every two weeks? Right, right until the end of time, right? Mm-hmm. But my goal, because I do lameness and biomechanics and chiro and acupuncture all together, my goal is to make the horses as self-sufficient as possible so that we only have to maintain them maybe mm-hmm. once every two months or three months or whatnot, right? So what I usually do after the first assessment when I've watched how they move and I've looked at their saddle and assessed their tack and figured out sort of what's primary, what's secondary, Mm. I usually will try to start some kind of exercise or rehabilitation program and address any major changes. So Mm. do we need to put a different pad on your saddle? Do you need to have the saddle fitter out? Do we need to have the teeth floated? Do we need to change something about the shoeing? Do we need to, you know, inject hawks or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. If there's none of that to be, you know, we change what we can obviously change, start the horse in some kind of exercise program Mm -hmm. or rehabilitation program. And then I like to follow up with them two weeks later because then I can really see the differences in the horse. And it's amazing Mm -hmm. how much a horse can change in two weeks Mm -hmm. if the owner puts the work into doing what I've asked them to do. And I always tell people the response that you're going to get from this horse is completely dependent on the owner and not on me right? because I can tell every time who's done their exercises and who hasn't. So the goal is to get themselves sufficient, right? And if you have chronic problems, you can't always do that. But I like to at least like show horses if we're doing maintenance, Mm -hmm. I like to at least get them, you know, every six, eight, 12 weeks, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if it's an acute problem, treat them a couple of times take care of the acute problem and then they happily go on and I don't see them again. So yeah, I guess that's the goal, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. The goal is not. And I think because there is a difference in human chiropractic therapy, like a lot of us that have been to human chiropractors for ourselves, you know, you you do end up going two or three times a week, sometimes for a long period of time. and, And it's just a little bit, I think the difference is 
in how we process our body and process pain versus how animals do, right? And so there's so many different factors that play into us and how we perceive that we feel. And I don't think horses think like that. So (laughs) yeah, I keep keep thinking about just pain and uh, pain control. And I wonder if you've experienced this before. I think trotters are the best example, like racing trotters. I mean, I think about the number of horses that you see that are just in so much pain, Mm -hmm. you know, back pain, maybe they've got some other lameness issues. Tell me how frustrating it is to fix pain and then have them not perform like you wanted them to. Yeah, like you mean when when what I do just doesn't quite work the way well, it's supposed to? I, no, no, no. I just I just find they get so used to the pain oh, of it right. that once you relieve it, they're they just don't work as well. They're just beso- beside <laughs> themselves, and it takes a while to kind of get back into the flow of things. So I guess what I'm getting at is it's probably best not to leave these types of things to the last minute. Yeah, um, when you do leave them to the last minute, like before a race or before a competition, uh-huh. yeah, it's that's very true. It's a good point because when they are used to going one particular way and uh-huh. they perform well, they do their job that way and everything is apparently working, uh, a spinal manipulation can dramatically change their gait. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and so yeah, yeah, good. sometimes people will call me the next day and be like, they feel lame. And right. that's not that they're lame. They're just different. There's so much more motion in their spine. Right. Therefore, there's so much more movement in their top line that they feel like a completely different horse. Sure. And so depending on how dramatic that changes for the horse, it's like they have to relearn how to yeah. use their new body. Right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, exactly. And yeah. so they will perform differently. And so sure. horses that I know really well and that have been, you know, adjusted many times. I have no problem doing them like before an event right. or at the horse show sure. or, you know, close to competition. Yeah. Um, because I think it can enhance their performance greatly when I know the horse. Absolutely. But prior to a race or prior to a competition, when they have not been adjusted before, I'm always very cautious. Is that um, right? Okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. very cautious. Yeah. Be- and I tell people that like the horse is going to feel different. The right. mechanics are going to be different. And sometimes yeah. their muscles will even get a little bit sore sure. because they have to adjust to that new movement. Sure. It's not that we've made them painful or made them worse. Yeah. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and there's an adjustment period for Interesting. sure. Interesting. Interesting. Now, talking about competition, mm-hmm. are, are there any rules that govern the time frame between treatment and competition um, in the different disciplines, whether it be racing... AQHA, dressage, FEI, eventing. Are there any rules that that stop you from treating them between classes, for example? Yeah, so that's the nice thing about chiropractic and acupuncture is that there isn't really a specific withdrawal time for them. And again, it's horse dependent on how they respond to the Mm -hmm. treatment, right? Some horses can be a bit quiet or whatnot, so you have to be a little careful with the response of the horse. But specifically speaking, for most disciplines, there isn't really a withdrawal time. And so you can use it in and around show times, prior to a class or after a class, To just, A, allow the horse to feel better and to just enhance their performance as much as as possible, right? And so you do have to be a little careful around FEI regulations. Sure. You can't use, you know, getting a little off of the chiro or the adjustment topic. But for acupuncture, you know, you have to be careful about using um, the electrical stimulation and the FEI stabling and whatnot. But for chiropractic, there's no overt rules. 
for when you can and cannot treat them. Perfect. Well, it sounds like it would be a, a really good therapy as you're getting closer to competition, as long as you say they're kind of in the regular schedule of appointments mm-hmm. and things like that. Horses yeah. that you've seen on a regular basis or that you're familiar with. Yeah. Uh, so that their response to the treatment is predictable. Exactly. Right? And and sometimes in a pinch, like at the horse show, you know, because I, I do spend a fair amount of time at Palgrave, I'll see new patients all sure. the time that, you know, maybe they shipped in from somewhere and they got to the horse show and something's just not quite right. They're not mm-hmm. feeling yeah. right. Maybe they had a rough trailer ride or, you know, they were in a small stall or yeah. something. And I have no problem adjusting those horses sure. at the horse show, even if they're, you know, prior to competition. I just make sure that the people know what they may or may not right. see yeah. the next day. Yeah. Right? yeah and yeah, sometimes, yeah, you know, if, if the horse arrives at the horse show and it's not quite right, it's a, it's just a, a lovely way to deal with those not quite right things. Yeah. It still allows you to safely compete because we're not going to mask anything. We're not going to break any rules. And it, it's just a really nice way to give the horse what it might need in those right. situations when you don't have any other options. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny talking about when, Sometimes it's what you can do in a pinch when a horse just isn't quite right. I remember I hadn't been a vet for very long, and I was at a standard farm. And while I was there, the trailer came in just after it had arrived from the yearling sale in Kentucky. This one horse came off the trailer, and I think they just paid $40,000 for it or something like that. Just lame as a duck, right, hind. <laughs> and I'm like, this isn't good at all <laughs> so i called the owner and i said I, I just i just wanted to let you know like this horse is not looking very good i'm do you want me to just do a quick exam and see where to go from here anyway so it was right high i'm going to start with flexions well palpation didn't really see anything do some uh, flexions so i flexed the right hind fetlock and i just went pop <laughs> and the horse trotted <laughs> i'm like holy crow i was that was lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. To be clear, it's not always that. No, no, no. <laughs> but when no. that happens, oh yeah, yeah. You're, you're I was just like, oh, well, this is, this is, this is great. Yeah, fixed. Yeah, yeah. It's disconcerting when you feel that, though, right? When you feel an overt pop in the oh. joint. Like, oh yeah. When you when I first started doing this, and you'd feel something like normally necks will give you those really loud cracks or extremities like fetlocks knees yeah and when you first feel them you're like what yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, like, yeah yeah oh, it's a little surprising <laughs> oh and it's broken anyway funny. but but yeah no it can be very effective do, do you find a lot of clients that use do for spinal manipulation also see a human chiropractor for themselves is there a correlation there yeah i do because i think um people that are open to manipulation therapy usually have experienced it Mm -hmm. sure and what a really in tune rider will find is that their horse's mechanics really affect their own mechanics sure. and vice versa. Yeah. So like I have some clients that know when their horse is due for an adjustment because say their right side of their pelvis or their sacral iliac joint starts to hurt right? and the horse is bouncing them in a way that oh, it, okay. it's compensating yeah, yeah. for because sure. it's not moving well through his pelvis. Sure. And so yeah. there's a relationship between the two. And sure. so there's some clients that will go to their own chiropractor and call me and then the problem is solved for... For both of them, right? So there is a real relationship between the mechanics of the rider and the horse, for sure. Gotcha. 
there's a lot of attention paid to saddle fit mm-hmm. when we're talking about mm-hmm. backs. Yep. How involved do you get with saddle fit? Is that something that you feel well trained in or is it something that you tend to work in conjunction with a saddle fitter? How does that usually work? Yeah, so I am not a saddle fitter. I'm not certified as a saddle fitter and I definitely tell everybody that but as a part of my assessment I do look at every saddle and how it sits on the horse and I watch how the clients position the saddle how they do the girth up and what pads they use. I'm not a saddle fitter but I have looked at enough of them that I can usually tell based on the palpation of their back and how the horse feels and how the saddle sits Mm -hmm. whether there's a correlation Mm -hmm. or whether the saddle is sitting properly or not properly. And Mm -hmm. so I will do a a basic fit, if you will. Mm -hmm. But then I immediately say, you need to follow up with your saddle fitter to have this addressed. And I will sometimes try to help people for a short-term solution. We'll try different pads, try different girths, try different saddles, have a fashion show, (laughs) you know, to see what sits best to relieve tension wherever it is I'm finding it. Yeah. To find a short-term solution. i always recommend that they follow up with a, you know, with a certified saddle fitter to address the primary problem that sits there. Awesome. But I usually try to at least determine whether it A fits or B doesn't. Right, right. <laughs> As a starting point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whether um, it's, you know, I think it's contributing to the problem. Yeah, fair enough. I'm curious, more of a personal question. Do you have, because I, I have one, do you have a favorite manipulation that you do? Ooh, probably <laughs> the most. Mine is the knees because uh, often they make the audible. Yes. So it's very satisfying as me assisting holding the horse uh, to hear that. Yeah, fair enough. So for for that reason, necks are usually quite mm-hmm. satisfying when you do get those really audible pops. But for me, my favorite adjustment is actually doing a pole adjustment or oh, an okay. atlas, what we would call an atlas adjustment. The reason is, is because when you get it right, the horse immediately tells you. They like go into this dazed la-la land and then they usually are very quiet for Mm -hmm. like maybe 10 seconds and then they'll shake their head or give you some kind of response. Like they'll start licking their lips or they'll yawn to tell you that they're processing. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes me laugh every time because they just get this zoned out look on their face like are you okay like what's going on in there and then they snap out of it but they'll like almost always when you get it right they will shake their head or lick and chew Mm -hmm. they'll give you some sign that it felt good and they'll usually lower their head right down to me and if they don't then I have to look for something else Like, I either have to repeat that adjustment because I didn't get it right, Mm -hmm. or there's something else that's not allowing that adjustment to fully release. So I usually do those ones last, Mm -hmm. and if they give me that sign at the very end of the appointment, then I know it's good. (laughs) I know it's right. (laughs) So that's probably... The most satisfying mm-hmm. for awesome. me is the most satisfying adjustment, <laughs> just because of the response of the horses. Like oh, yeah. it's it's pretty funny. <laughs> awesome. Well, Tova, your passion for manipulation therapy and equine vet medicine is contagious. We thank you so much for for coming. Do you have any final passing notes, uh, thoughts for us? Uh, is there anything that we we didn't get to that you'd you'd like to? Do you know specifically? We didn't actually talk about 
exactly what kind of problems you might call me for or not call me for for an assessment. So maybe we should talk about that just to kind of be complete. So the things that I don't want to be called primarily Mm -hmm. to adjust a horse for is if there's really overt lameness. Like Mm -hmm. if the horse is very obviously limping Mm -hmm. on one particular leg, typically those problems are primarily veterinary medicine problems. There's Mm -hmm. something that's injured that manipulation therapy is not going to solve. And it's important to know that alternative therapies, from my perspective, because I'm a vet and I practice Western and alternative medicine, I don't think alternative therapies replace veterinary medicine. And so when you have like an overt injury, I don't think you're spending money wisely to start with an adjustment. Mm -hmm. Once the problem has been treated and you can always use manipulation therapy as a secondary tool to help the compensation and to help keep keep things from locking up in response to the injury. Mm-hmm. Manipulation therapy shouldn't be used as a primary lameness mm-hmm. tool, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the other things that you don't want to use manipulation therapy is if the horse is like overtly sick. You know, they've got a fever or they're not eating or they seem colicky, Mm -hmm. anything like that, that you would think maybe I should call my vet for. You know what I mean? Start with your primary vet for that kind of stuff. Because again, manipulation therapy, secondarily, yes, after a diagnosis has been made to treat the primary problem, but it's not going to be your go-to. Not just your first line. For those kinds of things. Sure. Yeah. 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 I think the biggest benefits that I have seen chiropractic or, you know, manipulation therapy help with are the, A, when you're treating secondary back pain to primary lateness, once Mm -hmm. you've taken care of that and you're building a top line and conditioning their core, it shines the most in situations where your kind of traditional vet medicine doesn't really give you an answer. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's why I got into it is because I was finding, as I was learning about back pain and trying to understand how how it presents or what to do about it. I was finding the things as a veterinarian, the tools I had in my toolbox, it wasn't giving me the answer. Mm -hmm. And so I find that's where chiropractic shines the most. So, you know, they're not lame, but they're having some kind of performance issue. So maybe they're having a hard time swapping their leads. You know, maybe they're picking up the wrong lead. They don't want to push off of one leg versus the other. They are counterbending or reluctant to bend one way or reluctant to drop their head in frame or, you know, ducking out of the jump or, I mean, there can be so many, they're girthy and it can be as strange as just weird postures, Mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes they stand in their stall and they're resting on their water tub or they're Mm -hmm. piling all their shavings up in the middle or Mm -hmm. they one day don't want to roll or they won't roll on both sides Mm -hmm. or flip over. Like it can be... You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It could be anything, but where you can't identify like, oh, that's where the exam of manipulation therapy and the treatment usually shines the most is for performance related mm-hmm. stuff when there isn't a super obvious lameness. Sure. Sure. Cause. Yeah. And also for behavior issues mm-hmm. because again, it's that manifestation of pain without overt lameness. Right. And that can often be in weird behaviors, all of a sudden yeah. they started cribbing when they've never cribbed before, or they're, sure. you know, maybe not eating as well, or it can really be anything. They're they're girthy, or they're sour, or they don't want to go in the ring, or they all of a sudden don't want to lunge to the right, or you know, yeah. like it can be, yeah. it can be 
anything, behavior or performance, just strange things, mm-hmm. right? And I, I find that those are the coolest. They're very gratifying cases, right? Yeah, because yeah, absolutely. It's, and that's where you really start to see how important spinal health is in the overall health of the horse, right? When you have done all the lameness things and treated all the primary problems, say injected their hocks and fixed their feet, but you still have this something left over. And when you restore range of motion to the spine, it's like, it's just crazy the changes that you can see in the horses as a result of it. Absolutely. Now, it's a really nice story that that's what led you to Spine of law. What a tongue twister. You know, it really You just call it chiropractic. VSMT. Yeah. You should have done that from VSMT. the beginning. Oh my gosh, we're VSMT. like 40 minutes in or whatever, and now yeah. we're thinking this. VSMT. No, but it's a it's a really nice story of what led you to it because yeah. it was that that search for, for more answers mm-hmm. when you when you start to kind of hit your head against a wall when you can't when you can't figure this out so it's a, it's nice to know that uh, there are people out there that have these techniques i was just you talking about pain and and its relation to behavior and i was just thinking i've been on a knock on wood i've been on a good run for i would say the last three weeks where i feel pretty darn good like i, I my body feels about as good as it ever Can. gets kind of thing <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean uh, but for a good month before that, I was all basically spasming th- through my SI. Man, was I miserable. Yeah. Like, you, you don't want to do anything. You, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to move. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to do anything. And so you can imagine how these poor horses feel, mm-hmm. right? When they have big jobs. That, they're um, athletes. Yeah. There, there's, exactly. a, there's a lot riding on, on their performance. You know, race season's only so long, show mm-hmm. season's o- only so long. We, you know, uh, there's a lot of pressure to, to compete. We need to use all of our tools to number one, uh, diagnose mm-hmm. these conditions and then find an appropriate treatment. And educate people too, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's probably my primary goal in all of this stuff is educating people on how horses show pain. And th- it's not to say that people don't pay attention. I didn't even know. For right. a lot, like, it's not even stuff you learn in veterinary medicine, right? No. We overlook it. And what I've come to realize is so many behaviors are mm-hmm. manifestations mm-hmm. of pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they don't... People always say to me, don't you wish they could talk? And my response is, no, I'm glad they can't. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'd never hear the end of it. Yeah. But... They do talk. Yeah. They tell you everything you need to know Yeah, if you listen. Right. Yeah. And learning to listen is the hardest part. But once you start to listen and you actually start to see what they're trying to show you. Right. You don't need them to talk. I think learning more about pain and how it manifests and how you can treat it when it isn't overt is... Such an important topic, which we could do a right. whole other podcast yeah. on. Yeah. Well, absolutely. That's a, that's a good point. And that, that pain isn't something to be covered up. There's it's something such, to find the source of, right? Uh, they're trying to tell us something. Yeah, yeah, between emotional and physical health, which is what you just alluded to, right? Yeah. Yeah. So those sour behaviors. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, not those, sour. those horses that you walk by their stall and, and they, they just pin their ears and stuff. You're like, maybe... Maybe I should give Tova a call. <laughs> well, and there, there, there is something to... Some horses are just crabby. Yeah. <laughs> Inherently, I do not think horses are bad. Sure. And they're not. They're not mean. They're not mean creatures. And so when they're doing those things... 
there's something to it. It's worth worth looking it's worth, into. It's worth listening to for a minute. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really good place to leave yeah. it. It does kind of set things up potentially for a, uh, a sequel to yeah. this episode, mm-hmm. uh, talking about pain and, and acupuncture and, acupuncture and all, all these things. I think we've learned a lot today Definitely. about uh, BSMT. There we go. Nice. Finally <laughs> locked that down. Uh, <laughs> I think we've learned a lot today. I, like I, I know I, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners have learned a lot today too. So oh, thank good. you so much for coming. Thank you so much for sharing your enthusiasm and your knowledge with us. I hope we can teach more people to listen. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'm Kyle Goldie. And I'm Karen Fell. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you've uh, really enjoyed today's episode, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people. Not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.